Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Reading from Exodus brought out two immediate responses from me. First of all, if anyone has traveled a lengthy distance with either children or impatient adults, knows what Moses was dealing with, the complaining. And the second is, as a hunter, I have never had quail just show up. That's why we pay a lot of money for dogs. N.T. Wright tells us this. The historian was in a hurry to finish his Ph.D., There was one chapter to go which concerned the painting that had been so important during this period, his period, and the influence of artists had on the wider thought and culture of the time. He went hastily from gallery to gallery. In every room he walked around beside the walls, scribbling in his notebook, taking down all the details from the printed notices under the paintings. He wrote down the artists' names, their dates, where they lived, the names of their key paintings, who their friends were, what influence others had on them, and and they on others. As soon as he was finished, he went on to the next gallery. He finished his Ph.D., but at no time in all the art galleries had he ever stood back and looked at the paintings themselves and allowed them to speak in their own language. Jesus is clearly anxious that the people whom he had fed with the loaves and fishes are going to end up like the unfortunate historian. The printed notes were there to lead the eye, the mind, and the heart to appreciate the paintings, not so that they could be used in a purely mechanical fashion processing information. The bread and the fish that Jesus had distributed to the crowds were there to lead the eye, the mind and the heart, to the true gift of God to his people, then and there. They were there to open up their understanding to the fact that the new Passover, the new Exodus, was taking place right in front of them, and Jesus was leading it. Those are powerful words. How often do we ignore the beauty or the realness right in front of us. I don't know about you, but I love art. I don't understand art in, in, in the sense as an artist would, looking at someone else's paintings, and frankly, I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. I'm terrible. But in 1998, I ventured on a trip overseas by myself for the first time, and I got to sing in Canterbury, England with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. It was a dream come true. And I spent eight days after that in London. And one of my, uh, one of my goals when I was there was to go to the National Gallery, which is the big art museum there. And I don't know if you've been, but it's quite stunning. I was going to go and spend a couple of hours. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know art. Did I say that before? I happened to meet a young man at the youth hostel where I was staying from Los Angeles who was an artist, and I told him I wanted to go, and he said, what do you have planned? I said, I'm going to go for a couple hours. He said, no, you're not. We're going for the whole day. He took me to the museum and explained the art to me in a way that I had never seen it. 
he introduced me to Caravaggio. I don't know if you are familiar with Caravaggio, but it is some of the most graphic, stunning art that I've ever seen. And there happened to be an exhibit there that day. Caravaggio was a notorious criminal. Um, he was, it, it, is, it is believed that he was charged with murder over a game of tennis. Not probably the greatest guy, but boy, what an artist. And he used something called tenebrism. And tenebrism is the stark difference between light and dark. As in most paintings, we look for the light to see what is important. But Caravaggio did the opposite, and he used the darkness to bring out the important features of the painting. Now, I will tell you, uh, if, if you have a weak stomach, some of his art is not for you, because it's very graphic and powerful, but I highly recommend looking into it, because it is stirring and it is stunning. I say that because this young man explained those things to me. I could throw that out at a party and sound really smart, but it's not my work, it's someone else's work. <clears throat> but the whole point is the fact that if we are just looking at something or focusing on one thing, we are going to miss what is right in front of us. I thought about putting together a list of cliche sayings. You miss the forest for the trees, right? Or whatever those may be, but we'd be here way too long. Jesus is telling today in this gospel message that, friends, it's right in front of you. The bread from heaven, it's easy to miss because we're not looking for it. We think that our Christian walk involves just doing good sometimes. Sometimes we study the Bible. We have our things that we do. But good news, it's easier than you think. Jesus tells them, what you have to do is believe in me. That's it. Doesn't that seem easier than worrying about all the things that we worry about? Because they didn't even know what they were looking for. And he scolds them almost when he says, you're not looking for me for anything other than the fact that you just ate and were filled. You're looking for nourishment in physical food. But let me tell you this, the bread and the life and the nourishment and the food you're looking for is not what you're thinking. I was sent by God. I am God in the flesh. God sent me to give you eternal nourishment. I just got chills. That's overwhelming to me that what we need to seek and look for is not what we do in our daily walk on a normal basis. We need to simply seek Jesus. I'll never forget in college one time, I went back uh, as, a, as a, what they kindly call older students now, non-traditional students. <laughs> Made me feel a little better. Um, but I went back and I was really struggling financially. I had been divorced, and I was kind of getting back on my feet. And I was broke. I mean, I was broke. I paid my rent, and I thought, I'm going to have to eat at work. I worked in a restaurant. That's good. I can eat while I'm there and take, maybe take some leftovers home for food. And I just, I was praying one day, and I said, God, I, I'm, I'm broke. Like, I need you to produce some money. 
I'm trying, but I can't right now, and I need some money. And I, this doesn't happen to me, but the next day I got a check in the mail for $200 from a friend from church. And a little note that says, I know you're having a rough time. I hope this helps. That nourished me in ways not just food or keeping the lights on or the heat or whatever it might have been, but it was because someone was living their walk with God in a way that they wanted to nourish someone else and not themselves. Now, the people that saw Jesus feed the 5,000 people, I've always wondered who the miracle was for. Because the people in the front of the group may have physically seen what he did with those fish and the bread. And they watched it multiply. They maybe saw that physically. But what about the people in the back who couldn't see? If you've ever been in a crowd of 5,000 people, if you're in the back, you can't see what's happening up front. What was their miracle? Well, he tells us, you're looking for me because you got food, but you don't know what really happened. You don't get what really happened. You don't understand that the food you just got is not what I am. So do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Well, they, clearly, they, we hear that they don't understand this. So they say, okay, what signs are you going to do for us? This is one of those times where Jesus probably wanted to turn and walk away because he was probably thinking, I just did this for you, and you're not getting it. But they don't have any idea. And it becomes very simple on paper. Jesus says, your job and the works of God that you need to do is simple. Believe in me. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to our community at Christ Church? What does that mean to Tulsa or Oklahoma, or the greater community in the greater world? What does it mean to really, truly believe in Jesus? Is it showing up to church? Is it uh, like the, when, the, when the storm hit and Andy and a bunch of the guys and, uh, and everyone else put over 500 meals out to the people who were displaced by the storm? What does it look like for you? What does really believing in Jesus look like? It's, I, I, I say that. It's, it's easy to ask that question. But it's a hard answer, isn't it? Because we all come from different places and different beliefs. Pope Francis uh, once, and I'm going to paraphrase the quote, but he said, it's really simple. If someone is hungry, you feed them and then you pray for them. That's what Jesus was doing. He knew they were hungry. And he had to feed them physically so that they could be nourished but then he prayed for them, and he gave everything he had. Uh, normally, at this point, I would challenge you, but I don't have to challenge you this week because there's a greater challenge, and it's from Jesus. So you have to listen. <laughs> Believe in Jesus 
Because God has given us eternal nourishment in Jesus. Eat and be satisfied. 